My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Dapper David Bax in his dapper workout wear. <laughs> I, you don't work out in jeans, do you? <laughs> I hope you don't just, think of just, this as workout wear. Just put a question mark after you don't work out, and that would probably... <laughs> Be me right, right there. I'm just for future reference. If you go to the gym, yeah. and there's a guy using the equipment in jeans. Just steer clear of that guy. There's something else going on there. This is not workout. This is bike riding. That's wear. bike riding. Wear. Yes. God, thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> Either way, still dapper. No, thank you. Yes, yes it works definitely. Thank you. We have uh, Eileen Jones with us, who is I, what is the female version of dapper? She's a, she's a dapess. Ooh. <laughs> Dapperess. I'll I don't take know. it. I'll, all I know I, I, is... I'm trying to think of what, what, what you would say. I, the thing about Eileen, let me say how pretty she is. I was, oh, my gosh. I was Skyping with Eileen <laughs> and Pat, my husband, like making fun of me because I don't have my makeup on, I don't have my usual Skype stuff and you on. looked amazing. And, yeah, yeah. Right. And he, and he goes, he goes, oh, no, you, you didn't put on your Skype makeup. I was like, Eileen's a friend. It's, all, it's okay and stuff. And then he goes, and he goes, oh, she put on her makeup. <laughs> I 100% did, too, because I was like, I got to look. I mean, Pilar always looks beautiful. So I, like, got up normally. I mean, I work from home, so it's like I'm in sweatpants all day. It's not glamorous. You know, if I'm going to group or something, I, like, get dressed. But I did. I got dressed for you. So. Let's just say you've become a favorite client of Pat's. <gasps> it, was, it was like, oh, really? Eileen's going to be on the show? Do you need a producer? Like, yeah, yeah. I got a producer. <laughs> Two producers. Okay. <laughs> so, Eileen, other than being pretty um you also happen to be hugely talented oh, i'm you. very very lucky i've gotten to work with eileen in class yes. and on her scripts and i've the last script that last draft was awesome thanks it was an original pilot it's so good um david is a tv guy oh amazing uh, a big tv fan i should say right i don't and work in tv like if you this would this would be a pilot that you would just get hooked on Ooh. Okay. I think I'm no, getting to know your taste now. All right. You would love this. But I'm I can't say anything, but it's top secret. Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Well, it's all true. But that's that's not even why we have you on. No. We have you on because you make a living. You make a living as a writer. I do. But you make a living writing treatments. I do. And you're probably the first person we've ever had on in, in 300 something, <laughs> 390 episodes yeah. where that's all that you do is write treatments for a living. And, yes. and so tell everybody a little bit about what your job is like. What does this mean that you're writing treatments? It is the randomest job I've ever had. And I've been doing it for like two and a half years now. And, um, essentially it means that someone, whether it's a director, sometimes it's a writer, sometimes it's producer with an idea. A lot of times it's commercials. Um, they'll come and say, you know, we need a treatment it's never something that I have like three months to do. It's like, we have a meeting, we have a pitch, there's a budget coming down. We need something and we need it tomorrow in two days. 
in three days, something like that. If I have a week, I'd be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with myself? Like (laughs) so much time. Um, but yeah, so I am essentially, I mean, you could call it ghostwriting. I usually work hand in hand with whoever it's for. So I'll do a pass. I'll get notes. Sometimes it's two or three drafts. Sometimes it's more, but I had no idea that people ever hired that stuff out. I had no idea that it could be a living. I totally stumbled into it and have somehow been able to make it work these last three years. So, so the idea of a treatment, it's such a, it really depends on who you're talking to as to how they define what a treatment is Yes, in your experience. Can you, can you say what you believe a treatment actually is? I can. And the simplest the sort of most umbrella term I could come up with because I did. I'm so I'm such a nerd. I have like papers sitting in front of me because I had to get my thoughts straight it's about like it. It's like a novel in front of her. I know. Wow. You should see like when I started dating my husband, I like couldn't have a phone conversation. I had to like write it out. I'm it's <laughs> really only, yeah. That's it's, adorable. It's so geeky. Oh my gosh. It's, no, but so the the most basic definition I could come up with is that a treatment is the short story or prose version of your concept. Beyond that, it can go a bunch of different ways. So you might be writing a treatment as a sales tool, sort of an extended pitch that you're going to use and send it to agents, producers, whoever, try and drum up some interest, or you can use it as like a story diagnostic. So you're testing your idea, figuring out what works, sort of going through the beats. Sometimes those are one and the same thing. Sometimes they are not. Um, I think one of the hardest things for writers and one of the most intimidating things is that yeah, non-writers use treatment to mean a lot of things. So sometimes they're going to say treatment and really they mean a pitch. Sometimes they're going to say treatment and really they mean an outline. So it's sort of on to, I mean, I don't know. I would argue that those are incredibly different things. Tell, tell me how they're different. Okay. To me, and again, this is my experience. To me, a pitch is shorter and it's very concept focused. So if somebody hired me to write a pitch, which happens, I would say it's going to be between four and six pages Depending on, like, if it's a TV pitch, there's specific, you know, a, a very specific structure that you're going to go to. Um, if it's a feature, I would say logline, concept, like character breakdown. My technique is usually I'll do like a paragraph per sequence in the actual story. And again, like four to six pages. A treatment is going to be more in depth on the narrative. So you're going to go through all of those same things logline, concept, maybe give the characters a little bit more love. There may be other things that you need to talk about to realize like how the world is going to be in this movie, but more beat by beat in the story. An outline to me is a living document, usually an internal document that is scene by scene. So how, how, if you're going to go beat by beat versus scene by scene, Mm -hmm. okay, so wow, an outline you believe is scene by scene. To me an outline, yeah. But again, it's it's sort of semantics, like, and it's different in TV than it is in film. Mm -hmm. So it's like this sort of amorphous thing that can mean a million different things. And I don't know, my advice is always like, get as much information about what's expected beforehand. Because I mean, I know people who, I mean, I spoke, I I did, I picked a few friends' brains um, before coming in here. And I have one friend who's a producer at the studio level and does only features. And she says, oh, a treatment is an outline. They're the same thing. So I, I say treatment and I mean outline all the time. And then if you're in indies, you know, a treatment is going to be more of a sales tool. Mm-hmm. In TV, you're going to do a treatment for your episode, and that's going to be like a step in your contract. Right. 
Right. And that's kind of a, I've never done that, but I can speak to my husband's experience on that. But, but that's also a step in your contract. If let's say you've sold something on pitch in a feature level. Mm-hmm. So now they need a treatment from you. And then the next part of that would be the first draft, et cetera. Maybe. I mean, when I spoke to my friend about it, she said that in her entire experience, and again, this is, she's a producer, like at a big company on the lot. So this is in the studio world, but she said in her experience, they have never, ever gone to like a treatment step the way that they do in TV that they always like, if they buy a pitch, they always want to see like a beat sheet. Mm-hmm. So sort of the, like the very slim, you know, where this is going to go. But the only time they've ever known people to do like a full treatment was when they were doing a franchise sequel and the studio was being like incredibly protective over the material. And they wanted to make sure that they didn't like hire a writer to write a draft that then hated and had to fire the writer and then have like multiple writers attached to that project. So they were hiring out sort of treatments to make sure they had the right concept before moving forward because they wanted to make sure, you know, it wasn't sort of a fraught process. Now, if somebody's hiring you to write mm-hmm. a treatment, this this must be tricky for you. You are a writer with original yes. ideas. Are they saying, here, could you, po- here's the concept. Could you possibly come <laughs> up with, you know, a, a whole treatment of original ideas of how to execute this concept? Or do they already, which I would imagine should be the case, say, this is the story. Can you now put it in treatment form? Honestly, it's both. Oh, boy. Um, and I had, it's, it's interesting though, because when I first started writing treatments, the bulk of what I was doing was commercials and music videos, which is, they're sort of its own, that is very much like a director's pitch, that document. So it's kind of its own thing. Great training, great practice. But sort of when I went freelance, I suddenly was like, oh, this is going to be complicated because I don't want to suddenly like advertise myself as a treatment writer because for me, I always wanted treatment writing to be like a step in my own independent writing career. So I had to sort of figure out like, what are the lines going to be for me about, you know, what I'll take, what I won't, how I'll pay the rent, you know, have to do all of those things. But so for me, if a treatment for a feature or a TV show comes along, I will not do it if it's something that I would want to do myself. So if something comes, that's like a dark one hour that sort of feels like it would fall within my wheelhouse or my brand, I won't write it. It feels like too much of a conflict. And I also feel like, you know, as a writer, my personal experience is kind of all I have, like in addition to like the tools of writing, but like that's my proprietary stuff to pour into what I have. So I don't want to touch it. If, which is also interesting because it sort of leaves me in position of every treatment that I write is going to exist sort of purely in the imagination. So I've weirdly, like, I am not a funny person. (laughs) I I write drama, but in treatments I've done like super wacky, crazy comedy. I have zero interest in ever writing a horror movie, but I've done like horror treatments. I've done comedy horror treatments that are very like American psycho. So things that live completely beyond what I would ever want to do. I had one job that sort of inspired this decision where someone came to me and said, yeah, yeah, I have this idea and it's, it's a comedy. Um, and it's about, you know, this kind of relationship. And I was like, great, what happens? And they couldn't answer they couldn't answer. They said, Oh, well, I don't know. You know, maybe you can, you can figure that out for me. Oh, God. And I, and I did it because I, I sort of, I needed, you know, the paycheck and I just thought, Oh, I can't, I can't do it again. So, so in, in ideally, mm-hmm. if somebody was stuck in that place and they did want a treatment from you, 
do you now have a series of questions that you ask your client that helps them get to story so that they can say, oh, yes, I want to do this and I want to do that. Now put it in treatment. Yeah, usually what I'll do, and it sort of depends on what the idea is, if it's like a long form thing or if it's a short form thing like a commercial or a music video. Um, but yeah, usually I want to have a conversation. I record the conversation. Um, if it is a commercial or music video treatment where I am literally writing it as the director, it's in the first person I'm talking about what I would want to do and how I would want to shoot it and all of those things. I'll go through and I'll literally transcribe word for word exactly what they've said in an effort to sort of like get their rhythm and cadence down. And, um, and at that point, you know, I'm making educated guesses about how I think they would want to do things. Cause that's a really like, I mean, again, it's a very first person document. If it's something like a feature treatment, it usually involves a number of conversations. Um, and it can, I usually try and keep it really casual. Like we might go have a drink or might go to somebody's office and have a meeting, but I'm wanting to know like, what is your vision? Like, can you give it to me? Just don't worry about how you say it. Can you give it to me just as like big idea as possible? And then try and like narrow it down from there. And then usually if I do a pass, I sort of always send it along with a caveat of this is just a place to start and we'll go from there. And, um, but it's interesting, like it's great practice, I think in terms of, you know, taking notes, it's not mine. It's never going to be mine. I'm doing it for someone else. My name will never be on it. So, you know, I'm just the facilitator. Like, it doesn't matter if I happen to think that what I wrote is like awesome and I would totally want to see it. If it's not what they want to go sell, then it's not what they want to go sell and I'll change it. Do you ever have any mixed feelings about that? Um, I, yeah. Yes, but I I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. (laughs) Sure. At the same time, I mean, again, I try and protect myself from sort of, it's an ambiguous thing and it's, it's, it's something that's only, you know, relevant to me, but sort of on this side of it is I'm happy to, you know, come up with an idea for someone else and sort of do some work and try something out as long as it doesn't touch what I consider mine. But I also think like, you know, if someone is say like a director, being a director doesn't mean you have to be a great writer. They're not the same skill set. So they might have an amazing idea and they could talk to me all day long about like how cool the concept is for this movie that they want to make. But they might happen to freeze when they sit down at a keyboard. You know, they might not be able to actually articulate it. And I'm great at that. I'm super comfortable with that. I'd rather do that and like write out notes about what I'm going to talk about than come and talk about it. Like that's, I'm, I'm happy to lend my skill there. It's, you know, and I'm being paid for it. I'm not... You know. No, no, I, I do. I, you know, to be honest with you, I think I might understand more than anybody else. I was going to say. Because I feel exactly the same way. I give, yeah. give notes every single day. I give story ideas away every single All the day. Time. And it never really affects me. Um, the only time, it's, it's interesting, I think this goes to what you said, the only time I ever had a moment was I gave somebody a personal story because oh. it was um, something, I understood the character and I understood the character so well. I said, here's something that happened to me in the same era, yeah. same kind of thing. And she said, oh, can I use that? And I said, oh, of course, because I always say, of course. And it was the only time I had a twinge. It's so funny because I read it and there was my story. And it's like you said, when it's your stuff, when it's your actual experience, and that taught me something right there. I was yeah. like, oh, that's the first time in blah, 15 years of consulting with people that I had a moment like, oh, I wish I hadn't given that away because it was actually me. So, but yeah, otherwise sort of like, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. That's what you've paid me to do and fly, be free, have fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I I can't say, I mean, look like in all honesty, I've definitely had the experience of 
like being on a conference call and I'm muted because I'm just li- listening in to the reaction and someone will say to whoever I've like written this document for like, oh my gosh, we loved it. You're such a great writer. <laughs> and the person will say like, Thank oh, you. thanks. I tried. And I want to be like, no, you didn't. You didn't try. I tried. I tried really hard. I didn't leave my house for three days and I wore sweatpants the whole time because I was trying so hard, you know, but I'm nothing against sweatpants, but so that's, you know, is it good to eat your slice of humble pie? Totally. Again, great practice as a writer, but, um, but yeah, I mean, most of the times I feel like it's a pretty even exchange of what I do for the paycheck that I get. And I'm pretty comfortable with it. Now, let's say a director has mm-hmm. hired you to write a treatment based on a vision that he or she has. You, that, that, that director knows that she wants to direct this, mm-hmm. hired you to do the treatment. Now what? Does it go to a writer and like here now you write the script off of that treatment? Yes, which mm-hmm. is sort of the, the interesting thing. Like again, when I went freelance, I, I really had to think hard about like, I don't want, I mean, nothing against doing this kind of work because I know there are people who make like long-term careers out of it. And it's certainly taught me a ton and I'm grateful. But again, I always wanted it to be a step, you know, towards being the writer that they send the treatment to. And I kind of feel like it's a, it's a really fine line because at this point I'm kind of like the treatment writer. And so they'll know that I can execute this, but I'm not going to be in consideration to actually write the script. I know. I, I feel bad because I, I don't want to talk about this, right? <laughs> because right. I, I that's right. You've got. Now. You've got. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me what's going on here, because because God, I, I, I'm like dying to be your agent all of a sudden. Oh like, God, let's get this girl do. some work. Why she should be the the writer for this? Um, so we've Thank got uh, uh, one Mississippi yes. is um, it is a feature treatment that you're writing. It's the true story of. Uh, Diane Dur- Durzis. Tell, tell me a little bit about her and tell me about the project and, and also how you're going to be involved in it. So I have to say, like, work falls into my lap in the most random, random ways. And this one came about because we had taken our dog into the vet. And in waiting at the vet, we sort of turned around and my, and my husband had worked with um, a producer named Josh Harris some years before. And we sort of got to chatting and that was fine. And then they caught up sometime later. And Josh had said, oh, you know, we're actually, you know, we've moved on. We're doing, we're doing features now. And kind of, they were sort of, I guess, just shooting the shit about different projects that, ooh, is that okay? Yeah. Sorry. I said it in the last episode. <laughs> so is that, that's the new protocol? Is I that where it's okay? So shit is fine. I know. It's like, yes. Oh, well, it is now. They say it on basic cable. Can't we say it here? Okay. Okay. It's Look, it's fine with me. All right. Oh. All right. We're- Okay. I'll keep it clean. Okay. Eileen's um, got such a potty mouth. I, I can't even tell you. God. I can't take her anywhere. So and, you're um, shooting the shit. You're shooting the shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, they mentioned that they had this idea, but that they weren't, um, they hadn't hired a writer for it yet. And they were thinking that they needed to do a treatment. And my husband being a great guy said, oh, you know, Eileen does that. You should just pick her brain about, you know, sort of what you could do and, and what the next steps would be. And from the minute I heard about it, I was like, oh my God, please don't hire me to ghostwrite this because I actually would really want to to write this. And um, we had a couple of sort of casual conversations and then I did finally go in and pitch in December. And, um, and honestly, like from the very first time we emailed about it, I was like, I, okay, I'll tell you the concept. The concept is um, (laughs) it's a true, yeah, the true story of Diane Durzis, who is the woman um, she owns and runs the last standing abortion clinic in Mississippi. And it's happening like literally right now. And, um, you know, I, I used to work for Joe Biden. I've worked for Catherine Bigelow. I have my work often straddles kind of political, um, political sort of goings on. 
Um, and I just thought, oh man, like I, this is, this would be the thing that I would want to like push to get to do on my own. And, um, and I definitely went in and met with them and, and honestly, it was great to be able to say like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a treatment writer and I could write the treatment for you. I said, but beyond that, like I'm the person that should be, you know, writing this for you. Like I'm, I'm from the South. I know those women, those women are my family. Like you don't want to talk to anybody else to do this job. And they were either, I was cheap enough or they were (laughs) good for you. Good for you. Thanks. It felt really good. I mean, I think probably a lot of writers, you know, and I've certainly had to do this in my own work. You have to kind of find a way to fall in love with an idea. Like, especially if it's an open writing assignment, you have to sort of find what you're going to, like what your entry point is going to be. And I just didn't have to do that for this idea from the very instant. I was like, I know what it is. I know how to write it. You know, I will take whatever pay cut I can, you know, to help, to help it get done. But so what we're sort of doing with this is they have her life rights, which is amazing. I think a lot of people had gone to her wanting them before and Josh and, and Rosie, you know, I think they just sort of hit it off with Diane. But, um, so we're, we're writing a pitch that they will then take out for financing as sort of an effort to drum it up. And then I'll also write beyond that. I'll write what I would consider a proper treatment, which would be probably more appealing to like a director or an actor, somebody who they might, you know, also bring some additional money and sort of get it, the wheels going. But it was really cool because the day that I signed my agreement and literally got commenced Mississippi appealed to the Supreme court, so that's like the Supreme Court of the United States is currently deciding right now, like whether they'll keep this clinic open or well, not. Interesting so. that, that history is, is shaping your third act too. Yeah. You're going to have to go in and like, oh, I got to change this. Oh no. No, I definitely, I, I turned around a first draft. I'm actually, I'm like waiting for notes. Um, I turned around a first draft on Wednesday and I did in the, like in my final paragraph and I had to sort of step back from the storytelling and say, you know, the Supreme Court is currently deciding, but whichever way it goes, this is how, you know, the, we think the story will end. Interesting. So I sort of had to write around it, but it's, it's really interesting to be, I mean, it's, I have no idea, you know, we'll know in the next 60 days whether it'll go or not. Ah, okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, whichever way, hopefully whichever way you fall on that very divisive issue, it's a really interesting personal story. So, so going back to the actual writing of the treatments. I'll stop asking you about all the uncomfortable <laughs> questions, which is not my usual style. No, it's great. But I just had to ask. <laughs> um, tell me about uh, some of the, the elements that go into a good treatment. What okay. do you think? Let's say you've got writers out there and they're creating a treatment, again, to pitch a director, to to get an actor involved, mm-hmm. to maybe a producer doesn't ha- likes the idea but only wants it in treatment form tell give them some tips as to what what uh makes up a good treatment well i think you raised an awesome point there which is knowing who your audience is because you know the one thing about a treatment is that there aren't hard and fast rules which can be super intimidating or it can be super liberating if that's sort of the you know mentality that you want to take with it so you know if i were writing this knowing that this is going to go to like julian moore i'm going to write it as you know as hard as possible as I can to say like, oh, this movie is all about this character. This movie is all about this character. Here's how this character is, you know, without literally addressing it sure. to Julianne Moore. I would, you know, try and make that as like sexy and appealing sure, the, as possible. The, the, the red-haired light that just <laughs> shines in the room. Yes, exactly. absolutely. But I think, so I think knowing your audience is huge. Beyond that, I mean, I think there are a few, you know, boxes that everyone wants to tick off in a treatment. And I may have mentioned them quickly before, but, you know, what is your concept? What is the world? 
Let's talk about the characters. Let's dive into the story. But you're, mm. are you hitting those, like like in a TV concept sheet, you sort of give those categories right up front. Yes. In a treatment, are you integrating them as you're telling the story no. instead? Ah, so you are no. just going, this is the world, these are the characters, and That's then you point. give a plot line. Yes. So what I would do is, because you don't ever want to lose your audience, right? The whole point of a treatment is that somebody picks it up and says, Oh, I can read this right now. Not, I have to block out three hours to read your script. Like I can read it right now. And you don't ever want their interest to flag. That is your number one goal is to keep them interested in what you were reading and like they're with you every step of the way. So if they can get confused about what it is that they're reading. You've lost. So to break it up into like easily digestible, easy to follow chunks, um, and sort of go step by step that way. That said, you don't have to title your concept section concept. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I have an example that I was thinking about earlier, which is um, the true detective treatment. And I don't know at what point in the process he created that, but, you know, he literally spells out not only the, the pilot, but the entire series in nine and a half pages of 12 point font, which is crazy. So like every inch becomes something really valuable. So if you're writing a comedy, those headers should be funny. You know, like use every little bit of page space that you have to be like driving home what this world is, like what your storytelling voice is. I think the biggest thing that a treatment does over like a beat sheet or an outline is that you get to convey tone and voice. You know, from the very opening, a writer or a reader should know, oh, that's what this is about. Oh, that's the tone that we're going to be living in. Oh, that's this world. I get it. I understand what the storytelling point of view is. I get it. So I, I'm I'm getting a, a better understanding now of why you're saying outline is this and treatment is this yes. because an outline or a beat sheet would specifically have a, a chronological synopsis. Yes. Whereas with this, is that necessary? Do you are are you going out of chronology? Or are you you I know typically it, it depends. Some people will say, oh, you know, if you're going to talk to me about concept of the world, I want like an example, which is fine. I would rather sort of give all that preceding information so that it's in the reader's mind and then dive into the story. So they kind of go into this, like, again, this prose narrative with, you know, those things sort of planted in the back of their minds. And that does have a beginning, middle and end. Yes, absolutely. I usually do the story section last. I know with like, um, like TV pitches, usually like lead with the teaser and sort of do that. But yeah, I usually do the story all in one piece, but I think the biggest thing for that is that you want the language to be really pithy, really active, really engrossing. You know, you want to leave the reader wanting more. So it should be, I don't know, it feels to me like it should just be evocative of whatever, like, the world is. Again, if it's, if it's funny, the story should be funny. You don't have to necessarily write, like, one-line jokes in it. You might, if that, you know, if that makes the reader laugh. But if you're doing something really tonal, you know, and sort of slow, like, you know, your sentences might be longer. It might be flow a little bit more. Your word choice might be a little bit more poetic. Like, I think all of that just sort of goes to giving the reader an experience, which is what you want. You want them to walk away being like, oh, like I, I felt what that was. I know what that is. I want to make it. Now, when I'm teaching people how to write synopses, like as a, for script coverage, mm-hmm. what I usually tell everybody is, don't go into every single detail in the first act because it'll take too long. Go into, you know, I want to see events happening in the second half. Totally. And then in, and, but I do want you to sort of gloss over certain things like the, the choreography of sex scenes or even action scenes, just saying they fight in a certain way is enough. And mm-hmm. then with the third act, really being specific about how to solve the problem. I like in, that. With treatments, are, 
does it, are any of the things that I said, uh, do you fatten up anything? Like is the first act, for example, like I said, we skim over it a little bit in synopsis because all first acts are good. Mm -hmm. But would you say that, do you fatten up your first act a little bit in a treatment form? Um, I might start with like an opening image, you know, something to sort of like draw the reader in a little bit without saying, you know, our opening image is right. blank. Again, trying to write it in a way that's really direct. Um, yeah, I, I might. I've done that before, not as a hard and fast rule. I think the kind of synopsis that you're talking about probably would fit really well in a pitch mm-hmm. where you're just giving like the real overview of like, here's what happens. Right, because with the with the coverage, you're only talking about a page and a half exactly. of, of, of story. And that's about right for a pitch. I would say, but I would break it up again I would break it up by sequence roughly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first 15 pages, the second, whatever that is. Um, In a treatment, I usually focus more on the character. So again, driving home that really active protagonist, what they're doing, what choices they're making, what's hard for them, especially if you're going out to an actor or a director, like really give them something to hang onto as they're going through the story instead of just telling them what happens. Try and make it more of like an active story that they're participating in. Sometimes I, I would definitely definitely specify act one and then go through act one cool act two then go through act two sometimes i'll even say at the midpoint right blah 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 because i think you want to you want your reader to know exactly where they are in the story instead of having to analyze it so they're wondering like oh is this okay is this the low point like am i is this act three now just tell them like specify because they're going to probably flip through it as well too but i think you know in terms of fleshing it out you know, if it's an action movie, I'd probably give the action scenes a lot of, a lot of love. It's a, if it's a character drama, I would definitely focus on whatever character conflict is carrying you through the film. And I know that's sort of a, like, well, if it's this, it could be this. That's, but I mean, treatments are specific to each project, you know. And, and are there anything, uh, anything in a treatment that you actually decide not to write? Like, okay, no, that would be overkill. They can find that out when they read the script. Um, usually just detail. Cause I think as much as you can get lost in, yeah, no, I think, I think keeping it short and sweet generally is the best way to go, um, without being brief or vague. So I would say, you know, you can easily get lost in too much detail, but again, wanting to sort of make it feel like, you know, what's happening. I've thought about all of this stuff, you know, sort of weaving an engrossing narrative. I know it's, no, you know, I, you know, I guess what keeps coming to mind for me, I don't know why, is if you could write around the places where the music builds, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like it's a, it's a thrilling moment, you know, and like, it, does the, does the music rise here? Oh, okay. That's, that's something to definitely be drawing out totally. and making them feel, you know, um, totally. I think it's, it's making just, just as a writer would with, with scene direction, you have to make certain choices about what details to put mm-hmm. in. And I think where I watch a lot of, because I, I, I do, you know, I will read treatments mm-hmm. or sometimes people will bring them into groups and they're very, very hard to comment on. Yes. Because the, to, be, to be honest, the more specific they are, the more buried the story gets. Exactly. And it, it is, it. so what you do is, it's a lot of skill there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's great. Mm. I mean, I, I think what you said just now is exactly right. Like, you lose the story in that detail, especially when, you know, you know, you're looking at a page full of a page full of prose. Like it's easy to get lost in that. Like, I think if there are, you know, great important moments, you can definitely 
sorry, but you can sex those up, you know, really like build that in. Like all of the tools that are at a fiction writer's disposal are absolutely at your disposal when you write a treatment. It's not screenwriting. And we're not talking about adding more sex. We're talking about sexier words. Exactly. Like really just sort of, you know, active verbs. I mean, I had one person, oh God, I had one treatment where they kept saying, oh, we just want more adjectives. It just needs to be more more adjectives. And I was like, oh God, please don't make me go in and just like string together four adjectives, but that's what they wanted. So I did it. And I was like, bad writing right there. Thank God my name is not on this right now because that like hurts. But you know, I mean, I think whatever, you know, that style can really be present. I've gotten to note shorter sentences throughout, you know, I've gotten more adjectives. So, but, but really like flexing those muscles. I think that's, you know, I think treatment writing is like half fiction and half like PR. Does it help to know also a comparison of the movie? Like if you say, okay, you're writing a comedy, do you see it as a comedy like this movie or like this movie? Like sure. you, you learn those things up front totally. again for the tone. Totally. You mentioned too, that when you talk to people, you try and take on their voice. Yes. Wow. Good for you. Are, do you pick up on a certain way that they tell jokes, um, uh, yeah. words they use. Yes. That's a big one. And that's so interesting. And I would say that it comes, it probably comes into play more with commercials and music videos, because again, those are like written in the first person. Um, but it's been really fascinating in thinking of like how, what their, what people's voice are, isn't necessarily what they sound like. It's how they like to think they sound. <laughs> <laughs> which I love. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, it's really oh true, though. God. Like, because I can tell you, like, unequivocally, the times where I have actually used a sentence that somebody said to me is almost always the exact one that they'll pick out and say that doesn't sound like me. Oh, I wouldn't so say that. Funny. Like, that's not a word that I would use. I, I don't use the word beautiful, or I don't. I don't love things. Love sounds glib. You know, because what they mean mm-hmm. is enjoy. Right? But it's also it's also writing towards someone's brand. So you might have a conversation with someone and say and think like, oh man, he was a really nice guy. And I will also say that I almost write exclusively for men. I've written for maybe two women, and I've written over like 160 treatments. Hmm. Um, yeah, which is strange. <laughs> but you might walk away thinking like, oh, that was cool to meet that guy. Like he was really interesting. I, I like his work, and oh, he was telling the story about his wife or whatever. And then, but like in terms of that guy's brand, it's badass. It's really bold. It's very declarative, you know, that's, and so you're, you're really writing as their persona. Now you mentioned writing in the first person for commercials and and videos. Explain about that a little bit more. Okay. So commercial treatments are very bizarre um, documents. And it's sort of a, it's like half in the film world and half not because it's, I mean, it's, it's advertising, but that said every bit of advertising right now wants to have some like big cinematic, you know, epic thing. And there are a ton of commercial production companies in LA. Usually people's management does not rep them for commercials. So these companies are sort of half production companies and half, you know, they have like a roster of directors and, um, Yeah. So generally what happens is an advertising agency will come up with a concept that they think is like cool and they'll put together storyboards and they'll send those out to a handful of directors that they think might be a good fit. And then they expect each director to write a treatment and submit it laid out in like a glossy deck full of reference images. And they'll either, they'll give them the job based on, you know, whose treatment is the best. 
So in that sense, it's even though I will probably write it, even though a couple of producers will read it and give notes as well. I mean, I've had some directors are very involved. Some directors want to send me notes. Some directors have literally hung up on notes calls after five minutes. They're like, someone else can deal with it. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't have any interest in doing it. But usually, you know, it's very hard to get a movie off the ground. We all, we all know. It's as hard to get a TV job. But commercials, they pay great. They pay crazy good. And it's like a couple weeks of, of work. And they can go and work with an Oscar-winning DP and the newest Alexa camera and they can cast these big actors. So it's a great paycheck and it's a great way for them to like play. So everybody kind of wants to get in on the commercial game right now. But yeah, a treatment like that goes through, there's usually some, again, like an introductory sort of concept thing talking about, you know, the theme of this commercial that they've, they've written. Sometimes it's a campaign of five spots. Sometimes it's just one, but then it goes through, um, general approach, like how they approach the material it goes through visual style cinematography, like how they see it looking, how they want to cast it, where they want to shoot it. Um, sometimes it talks about visual effects, you know, sort of whatever might be relevant. And then it goes through the story. So again, there is that story section sort of fleshing out the thing as they see it. Because every, every advertising agency wants to know, like, what are you going to bring? As the director of such and such a movie, what is your, what's your take on this? What are you going to bring to it that makes it extra special? Um, but instead of going through beat by beat, you're literally choreographing out like the camera pulls back, you know, cut to blah, blah, blah. So you're sort of, I, I literally will write it off of those storyboards and then like direct it essentially. Has this turned words. you into a director at all? I mean, <laughs> have you thought about directing your own stuff once? Uh... Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I definitely think it's influenced my writing that way. I mean, without ever wanting to like, you know, direct a, a script in on the page. Um, it's definitely made me think more visually, especially in terms of like sequences and transitions and things like that. Um, maybe, I mean, I think it would be really interesting, but it's also interesting because I'm married to a, a director and uh, I don't know if two directors in one household might be. Oh, that, that, that sounds like a sitcom I want to watch. <laughs> I mean, we already talk story all the time, just like bouncing ideas off of each other. I wonder if, I mean, I can't imagine having like a married couple who are like both in production. It would be insane yeah tell everybody a little bit about about your husband um because this is definitely a creative family it is it's really fun so my husband's name is tyler gillette um we met usc in high school they did a summer school program um i think it was actually the first year that they did it and we both didn't get along with our roommates and so we became friends like sitting on the porch and i was like 16 and he was 17 and anyway we sort of stayed friends and then you know 16 and 17 (laughs) and then we lost we lost touch for like a decade and then as soon as I came back out here um we had brunch and spent like a couple awkward months as friends being like does he like me I don't think he likes me and then of course you were writing your notes for the phone calls and things oh yeah Yeah, luckily luckily it was a lot of texting which is helpful because you can like like delete it and rewrite it and make it funnier and stuff like that (laughs) but um yeah so he he's a director um he had a movie at Sundance a couple of years ago that sort of since became like a cult horror classic. And what is it called? It's called VHS. Excellent. And uh, then he made um, Devil's Due with 20th Century Fox last year and then sort of branched into TV last year. And so we are literally like waiting. We'll know next week if NBC has picked up. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I see an on the page episode in his future. (laughs) Just saying. saying. (laughs) He's great. He's so charming and very funny. And it's always funny because I have to say like 
when it, he started doing the horror stuff, I was like, oh, really? You started in comedy? Like, this is really dark. I don't, I'm not a horror fan. And when we went to Sundance, it was an anthology film. So we went with all these other filmmakers who were amazing guys like Ty West and Joe Swanberg and Adam Wingard, people who've had like Dave Bruckner, like great successes since. And I was really, I, I have to say, I totally prejudged them and thought like they're going to be really like dark and kind of brooding people. <laughs> and they were like the nicest, <laughs> sweetest, like, because you, you, know. you get all your, your angst yeah. out on screen, right? I'm probably like far angstier and darker than they are. <laughs> yeah, I think good horror writers are very in touch with their their fears. Yeah, and, and I think that's what they write. Yeah, they don't they don't hold it all in, right? Whereas they, I'm like, oh God, I don't ever want to write a home invasion. I would never sleep. Like they sleep better because they do. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably they just put it out in the world for us to be <laughs> scared about. I could talk to you all day, but I can't. Oh, I hope that there's something helpful in there. I feel like talking about treatments is like... It is. It's, it's a hard thing. One thing I will say really quickly before we leave, if you write a feature treatment, do not put images in it. Huh. Like, don't do it. It's like, everyone's biggest pet peeve, and do not go over 10 pages. What do you mean images? As, as, I mean, I would imagine that you want to write visually, so, so but tell like, me what you mean. actually, and I'm sorry, because I know you're about oh, you to mean, you mean literal, literal like, images. putting illustrations in? Yeah, like a oh, lot of times, yeah. writers, I think especially with TV, they'll put together like a deck. Uh, you know, that's like kind of sexy and it's the world. Well, you know, in TV, the writer is the God of the world. So that kind of makes more sense. But I asked around and everyone's response unequivocally was the two biggest pet peeves with treatments are it goes longer than 10 t- pages, which is just unnecessary. And they have some like splashy cover page with like a mock-up of a one sheet or like images laced throughout. And the answer that I got was, unless you're a director nobody cares what you think. You know, I think, <laughs> well, that's a little harsh, but, but like nobody cares what the writer, how the writer thinks it looks. It doesn't matter. That's not, it's not their job, even though they are writing a visual. It's kind of, kind of weird, but, but that's a really good piece of advice because, yeah. um, people do get all kinds of mixed messages on yes. that. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. I I hope it's helpful. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, um, let's see. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I should let everybody know that in addition to all of her work uh, as a treatment writer, Eileen has also just been... Uh, got a gig with Script Anatomy yes. as a new teacher. Yes. But you're going to be a great teacher. Thanks. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much just, just oh my from gosh. listening to you. Well, so good luck with that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Your classes have been amazing. I'm so happy to be in the On the Page family. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. And my husband's happy about that. <laughs> um, anywhere that people should get in touch if you want them to get in touch? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's Ladybird Jones. Being a Jones is tough on social media. Every name is already taken. Um, yeah, you can do that, or um, I guess I can give my email. No, that's no? good. Okay. Yeah, Lady Burn Jones. Twitter. Okay, yeah. all right. Follow Eileen. Thanks. And um, where should people follow you? Ooh. Oh, you can check out my, uh, <laughs> <To the laughs> in my jeans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be on the lap machine in my <laughs> Levi's. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me, uh, my website is battleshippretension.com. That's where my movie reviews are, and my podcast, Battleship Pretension, and all my other podcasts, and all my other things that I write. And you can email me at david at battleshippretension.com or follow me on Twitter at davypretension. Thank you, Davy. That was way better than mine. <laughs> I, I do that two or three times a week. <laughs> I'm on a lot of podcasts. Yes, yes, it's crazy. <laughs> he just slums it on mine. Um, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv, the rewrite class. Um, you took the rewrite class. Yes. The rewrite class is amazing. <laughs> if you haven't taken it, whoever you are, wherever you are, get your behind the Pilar's class because it is 
an unbelievable experience. Thank you. Okay. Okay. You can go now. Thank you. Um, so April 11th through May 16th here at La in Los Angeles at the On The Page studio. Also go to pitchfest.com uh, because the Great American Pitch Fest is going up at the end of May and I will be there teaching a master class on Friday, but also like three or four other classes the next day. Ooh. Because I have a problem saying no. And then uh, also I'll be in London teaching TV for two days in July. Go to the London Screenwriting Festival uh, website and it should be on that. And oh, and remember, if anybody wants to hang out with me in Beijing in April, <laughs> I'll be the person looking lost. Oh, I, you know what? Maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have been back. I don't know. I, I don't that's know. Up, again, that's up to you. Okay, so Tim Tams was the big get for Beige for, for Australia last yeah. time. And I didn't really make good, but then somebody sent us a creative Tim Tams. So yeah. what do you want this time I from don't China? Know enough about what they have in Beijing. Do you want anything from China? I mean I yeah. mean you know, money for a movie? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring back a rich investor. Okay, it's a deal. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. It's, uh, you know, we're getting close to episode 400, and um, I got to say, I'm, I'm feeling a little grateful these days, so I just want to give a, a special thank you to the listeners and a reminder to have a good writing week. <laughs>